Welcome to Truth 101 with Dr. Greg Ammons, a podcast which examines tenets of the Christian faith in a systematic way. Dr. Ammons serves as a local church pastor and professor of theology in the undergraduate, master's, and doctoral levels, bringing years of experience into the theological arena. Now, here's Dr. Ammons. The Bible is just a book written by men. Is that true? Or is there something divinely inspired about Scripture? Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Ammons. Welcome to Truth 101, a podcast where we talk about the uh, doctrines of the Christian faith in a systematic way. And we are now into the 600 series looking at the Bible and Scripture. We've looked at the authority of Scripture and the truthfulness of Scripture. And in this podcast, we're going to look, how did we get the Old Testament? How do we know that the the books, the writings of the Old Testament are the only ones that belong in there and the ones that God wanted to be in there? So we're going to begin looking at this in this episode at the Old Testament. In the next episode, we'll look at the New Testament. And we're going to see that the books that we have, they're all 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, are the exact books that God wanted to be there. Now, the Bible that we have is called the canon, C-A-N-O-N, the canon of Scripture. Not two ends, like you're shooting uh, something, but, but, but one end, C-A-N-O-N, the canon of Scripture. The word canon means measuring stick or measuring rod. So, so the canon of Scripture is something that we measure by. And so we're going to look, and, and I don't think we need to underestimate the importance of the question, what belongs in the Bible and what does not belong in the Bible. It's a very important question because the words of Scripture are the words by which we live by. They are our final authority. They nourish our spiritual lives And so we can affirm the comment of Moses to the people, Deuteronomy 32, 47, where he said, It is not empty words for you, but these words are your very life. And so that's accurate. They are our life. So we need to know what is Scripture, what is not Scripture. Because also Deuteronomy 4, 2 tells us, Do not add to the Word of God, do not take away from the Word of God, So we need to know what is the Word of God. So in this episode, we're going to answer three questions. One, how did we get our current Old Testament? Number two, are there outside sources that validate the Old Testament books that we have? And then number three, we're going to talk about what about the Apocrypha? The Roman Catholic Church adds books to the Old Testament that we do not have. They're called the Apocrypha. What about the Apocrypha? Are they accurate and should we include them in Scripture? First of all, question number one, how did we get our current Old Testament? So where did the idea of a canon actually begin? Well, Scripture itself bears witness to the historical development of of the canon. The earliest collection of written words of God was the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments form the beginning of the biblical canon. God wrote on two tablets of stone with his very finger the words which 
he commanded his people. Exodus 31, 18. He gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with a finger of God, end quote. So we know that the tablets were deposited in the ark and they constituted the terms of the covenant between God and his people and those tablets were the very first canonical writings. Then this collection of absolutely authoritative words of God grew in size throughout the time of Israel's history. Moses himself wrote additional words to be deposited beside the Ark of the Covenant. We're told that in Deuteronomy 31, 24-26. So the immediate reference is apparently to the book of Deuteronomy. But other references to writings by Moses indicate that the first four books of the Old Testament were written by him as well. In fact, Jesus said the same. So we know that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were written by Moses. The Old Testament says that, and that is confirmed by Jesus himself. Now, later on in Israel, usually those who fulfilled the office of prophet, they wrote additional words from God. We're told in 1 Samuel 10, 25, Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it before the Lord. That's 1 Samuel 10, 25. Listen to 1 Chronicles 29, 29. The acts of King David from first to last are written by the chronicles of Samuel, the seer, and in the chronicles of Nathan, the prophet, and in the chronicles of Gad, the seer. And then you go to 2 Chronicles 20, 34. It says, quote, Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat from first to last are written in the chronicles of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which are recorded in the book of the kings of Israel. And then we go to 2 Chronicles 26, 22. It says, quote, Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah from first to last, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, wrote. And then we go to 2 Chronicles 32, 32. It says, quote, Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his good deeds, behold, they were written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, in the book of kings of Judah and Israel. And then finally, Jeremiah 30, verse 2 says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. So we see the first five books of the Bible written by Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then we're told, starting in Samuel, going through the Chronicles, going all the way to Isaiah and then even to Jeremiah, that throughout the period of the history of Israel, God inspired people to write the words of what was happening and lay them out before the Lord and put them into a book. So the content of the Old Testament canon continued to grow until the time of the end of the writing process. Now, when was that? Well, if we date Haggai to around 520 B.C., Zechariah to around 520, 518 B.C., and Malachi to around 435 B.C., then we have the, an idea of the approximate dates of the last Old Testament prophets roughly coinciding with this period of the last books of the Old Testament, the history part, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Ezra went to Jerusalem 458 B.C. 
Nehemiah was in Jerusalem from around 445, 433, and Esther was written sometime after the death of Xerxes. So, in summary, after approximately around 435 BC, there were no further additions to the Old Testament canon. So it stopped around 400 years before Christ. So the subsequent history of the Jewish people was recorded in other writings, such as the book of Maccabees, but these writings were not thought to be worthy to be included with the collection of God's words from previous years. So we have in summary the beginning, starting with Moses in Genesis, all the way to around 435 B.C. where Malachi wraps up. So those are the, the, uh, the words, the writings that are considered inspired, which is basically our Old Testament, the 39 books that we know as the Old Testament. Now, second question. Are there outside sources that validate the Old Testament books that we have? I mean, th this is an important question because you can say, well, the Old Testament, we have these 39 books of the Old Testament and, and we attest to them, but did anyone outside attest to them as well? Well, actually, they did. Let's look. Whenever we turn to Jewish literature outside the Old Testament, we see the belief that divinely authoritative words from God had ceased. And that is clearly attested to in several different strands of extra-Jewish literature. For example, 1 Maccabees, it was written about at 100 B.C., the author writes of the defiled altar, he says, quote, So they tore down the altar and stored the stones in a convenient place on the temple hill until there should come a prophet to tell what to do with them, end quote. That's from 1 Maccabees chapter 4, verses 45 and 46. So they apparently knew of no one who could speak with the authority of God as the Old Testament prophets had done. That's interesting. The memory of an authoritative prophet among the people was one that belonged to the distant past. This was by 100 B.C. So the author could speak of a great distress that they were experiencing because no one spoke with the authority of God since 400. That's when the Old Testament closed. Now listen to Josephus, born around 37-38 AD, great Jewish historian, wonderful work called Jewish Antiquities. Listen to what he said, quote, this is from Josephus, from Artaxerxes to our own times a complete history has been written but has not been deemed worthy of equal credit with the earlier books because of the failure of the exact succession of the prophets." End quote. Now that's Josephus writing in a book called the Jewish Antiquities. That statement by the great Jewish historian Josephus of the first century AD shows that he knew of the later writings, but now considered, which we would know as the Apocrypha, we'll talk about that later, but they were not of worthy of equal credit with what we now know as the Old Testament Scriptures. So there had been, in Josephus' view, no more words of God added to Scripture after around 435 B.C.
So that's significant. We have Maccabees themselves. We have Josephus, extra biblical writers who are saying that basically what we have is the Old Testament are the words validated from God as Scripture. Now, let's go a little bit further, talking about Josephus. In the same context, Josephus, he was writing about 95 A.D., he also included that there was a fixed number of books that the Jewish people counted as, quote, Scripture, and that the number of books had been fixed for, he said, quote, long ages. Now, now listen to what he said. I'm quoting from Josephus. We do not possess myriads of inconsistent books conflicting with each other. Our books, those which are justly accredited, are but two and twenty and contain the record of all time. Of these, five are the books of Moses comprising the laws and the traditional history from the birth of man down to the death of the lawgiver. This period falls only a little short of 3,000 years. From the death of Moses until Artaxerxes, who succeeded Xerxes as king of Persia, the prophets subsequent to Moses wrote the history of the events of their own times in 13 books. The remaining four books, Josephus writes, contain hymns to God and precepts for the conduct of life. Now listen to Josephus, the last paragraph. This is from Jewish Antiquities. Quote, we have given practical proof of our reverence for our own scriptures. For although such long agos have now passed, no one has ventured either to add to or to remove or to alter a syllable. And it is an instinct with every Jew from the day of his birth to regard as the decrees of God, to abide by them, and if need be, cheerfully die for them." End quote. What a powerful statement from Josephus. But I have a question. If you add together the number of books, they don't equal 39. They equal 32. So, if our Old Testament today has 39 books, why does Josephus only have 32? Well, the answer is that according to Jewish reckoning at that time, several books were combined and counted as one book. Judges Ruth was counted as one, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel counted as one, 1 Kings, 2 Kings counted as one, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles counted as one book, Ezra and Nehemiah counted as one book, Jeremiah Lamentations counted as one book, and then some even said Josephus only counted 22 rather than 32 because the 12 minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, they were counted as only one book, and it was a book called the 12 minor prophets. So, and then you have the hymns. You have the Psalms, Song of Solomon, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So, 22 if... Josephus counted the 12 minor prophets as only one book, 32 if he did not, but several books were combined together. So Josephus counted the, still the exact number that we have as 39 books. Josephus had, this is the Word of God in totality. 
Now, this is a significant statement regarding the extent of the canon as understood by Jewish leaders in the first century. Writing in approximately AD 95, Josephus said, no Jew dared to alter a syllable in the fixed collection of books for long ages, by which in this context means the end of Esther. Josephus implied that the canon of scripture acknowledged by the Jews was completed by the time the book of Esther and had not changed one syllable to that day. Now, let's go a little bit further and talk about Jesus. Jesus and the earliest generations of the New Testament Christians accepted all the books found in the Hebrew Bible, the 39 books as we know them, no more, no less, as their Old Testament. So Jesus knew the Old Testament to be the 39 books we have. The earliest generation of New Testament Christians considered the 39 books of the Old Testament that we have to be their Old Testament. In fact, Paul referenced the Old Covenant in 2 Corinthians 3.14. One bit of evidence in support of this is that in the New Testament we have no record of any dispute between Jesus and the Jews over the Old Testament. Did you notice that? No record of Jesus and the Jews ever disputing over the extent of the Old Testament canon. So apparently there was, a, there was full agreement between Jesus and his disciples on the one hand, the Jewish leaders or the Jewish people on the other hand, that additions to the Old Testament canon had ceased after the time of Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. This fact is confirmed by the quotations of Jesus and the New Testament authors from the Old Testament. According to one count, Jesus and the New Testament authors quote various parts of the Old Testament scriptures as divinely authoritative they quoted them 295 times. But not once do they cite any statement from the books of the Apocrypha or any other writings as having divine authority. The absence of any such reference to other literature as divinely authoritative and the extremely frequent references to places of the Old Testament is divinely authoritative, that gives a strong confirmation that the New Testament authors all agreed the Old Testament canon as we have it, no more, no less, was to be taken as God's very own words. Well, let's go to question number three. What about the Apocrypha? Why is the Apocrypha not considered to be authoritative? Well, the Apocrypha, as you know, is a collection of books that's included in the Catholic Bible. What then shall be said about the Apocrypha, the collection of books included in the canon by the Roman Catholic Church, but excluded from the canon by us, by Protestants or by Baptists? Well, the reason why is because the, the books of the Apocrypha were never accepted by the Jews as Scripture. Throughout the history of the early church, there was a divided opinion on whether they should be a part of Scripture or not. But 
these books were never accepted by Jews as scripture. In fact, the earliest Christian evidence is decidedly against viewing the Apocrypha as scripture. But the use of the Apocrypha gradually increased in some parts of the church until the time of the Reformation. The fact that these books of the Apocrypha were included by Jerome in the Latin Vulgate, his translation of the Bible, gave support to their inclusion. Even though Jerome himself said they were not books of the canon, they were books of the church. And Jerome himself said that the books of the Apocrypha were only helpful and useful for believers, but they were not the books of the canon they were books of the church. So the wide use of the Latin Vulgate translation in subsequent centuries guaranteed their continued accessibility, but the lack of any known Hebrew text behind most of them and their exclusion from the Jewish canon as well as their citation, the lack of citation in the New Testament, that has led many to view them with suspicious authority or to reject them as authoritative. Let me give you an instance. The earliest Christian list of Old Testament books that exist today is by Melito, who is a bishop of Sardis. He wrote about 170 A.D. Listen to what he said. This is Melito. When I came to the east and reached the place where these things were preached and done and learned accurately the books of the Old Testament, I set down the facts and sent them to you. These are the names of the books. Five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua the son of Nun, Ruth, four books of Kingdoms, two books of Chronicles, the Psalms of David, the Proverbs of Solomon and his wisdom, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Songs, Job, the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and 12 in a single book, Daniel, Ezra, Ezekiel. That is the quote by Melito, Bishop of Sardis, 180-70. It is noteworthy that Melito names none of the books of the Apocrypha, but he includes all of our present Old Testament books with the exception of Esther. Later on, the church historian Eusebius, writing about 325 A.D., quotes Origen as affirming most of the books of our present Old Testament canon but no book of the Apocrypha is affirmed as canonical. And the books of Maccabees are explicitly said to be, quote, outside the books of the canon. So, folks, you have some of the earliest New, uh, New Testament fathers who look back and do not include the Apocrypha as a part of Scripture. So, that begs the question then why in the world is the Apocrypha so prevalent today in the books of the Catholic Church, but not in Protestant Bibles? Well, it was not until the Council of Trent in 1546 A.D. the Roman Catholic Church officially declared the Apocrypha to be a part of the Bible, with the exception of 1st and 2nd Esdras and the prayer of Manasseh, it is significant that the Council of Trent was the response of the Roman Catholic Church to the teaching of Martin Luther and the rapidly spreading Protestant Reformation. And the books of the 
Apocrypha contains support for the Catholic teaching of prayers for the dead, justification by faith, plus works not by faith alone. So in affirming the Apocrypha as within the canon, Roman Catholics would hold that the church has the authority to constitute a literary work as scripture, while Protestants have held that the church cannot make something to be scripture, we only recognize what has already been confirmed as scripture. Let me give you an example. One example would be that, let's say that a police investigator recognizes counterfeit money as counterfeit, and he can recognize genuine money as genuine. But the police investigator cannot make counterfeit money genuine, nor can any declaration by any number of officers make counterfeit money to be something it's not. Only the official treasury of our nation can make money that's real. So, in a similar way, God can make words to be His very own and worthy of inclusion in Scripture. We just recognize what is. We don't make them authoritative. We just recognize what is authoritative. So, let me give you a summary as to why I don't believe the Apocrypha should be regarded as a part of Scripture. Four reasons. Number one, the, Apocry the books of the Apocrypha do not claim for themselves the same kind of authority as Old Testament writings. Number two, the books of the Apocrypha were not regarded as God's words by the Jewish people from whom they were originated. Number three, the books of the Apocrypha were not considered to be scripture by Jesus or any New Testament author. And number four, the books of the Apocrypha contain teachings that are inconsistent with the rest of scripture. So we must conclude that they're merely human words, the books of the Apocrypha, not God breathed like the words of scripture. The Apocrypha does not have value for historical and linguistic research. They contain a number of helpful stories about faith and courage of the Jews during the Old Testament, but they have never been a part of the Old Testament canon and should not be thought of as a part of the Bible. Therefore, they have no binding authority for the life and the thought of Christians today. In conclusion, with regard to the canon of the Old Testament, Folks, you can know for certain that the 39 books that we have are exactly authoritative, the authoritative words of God. Well, I hope this has been helpful to you. In our next episode, we will look at the New Testament canon and how we know the 27 books there are the books that God has for us today as the authoritative word of God. God bless you. We'll see you in our next episode. You have been listening to Truth 101 with Dr. Greg Ammons. We hope you have enjoyed today's teaching. For more information on recent sermons by Dr. Ammons, go to www.fbcgarland.org and join us next time for Truth 101.